We'll come back to that story in just a minute. <clears throat> Tell me about your dad. I had a friend say that to me a little while back. And, you know, I was at a loss for words. Think about that. If I ask you to tell me about your your dad, where would you begin? You know, you might tell me the kind of work that he did or, or does, but that wouldn't really be the whole story, would it? Or you might tell me the stuff he's interested in, maybe it's sports or some hobby or just the stuff he likes to do, but that wouldn't really tell the whole story either. You might tell a little bit about where he's from, or you might talk about your relationship. But where do you start talking about your relationship with your dad? Do you start when you were a kid? Do you you start where you are now? How complex is it to, to begin to think about your father? Whether it's good or bad, there's probably a lot going on and a lot of emotion involved in telling someone about your father. So how would you answer that? Tell me about your dad. I didn't even know where to start. Tell me about Jesus. Where would you go with that one? Tell me about Jesus. What if someone said that to you? Tell me about Jesus. What would you say? Now, it seems like something that we as Christians, especially lots of us who've been doing this for a while, we ought to be able to give a pretty quick answer to that. We ought to know exactly what to say, but I think if we were challenged with that, some of us might have the same reaction that I did when I needed to talk about my dad. We, we know who he is, but there's so much there, we're not really sure where to start. I mean, we might say something about, well, well he, he's God's son. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, he's the Messiah, right? That's not a term we throw around very often in our culture, so what does that mean? Or maybe we could start telling some stories, right? We could begin to say, well, he did all these amazing miracles. You know, Jesus, man, the stuff he did, healing people, and and he walked on water, and he raised people from the dead even, turned water to wine. All these amazing things he did, but that would show that Jesus had power. But it wouldn't tell us everything about Jesus, would it? Or we could say, you know, as far as teaching goes, no one was a better teacher than Jesus. I mean, let me tell you a little bit about just one sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. We find it in Matthew 5 through 7. Let me tell you some of the stuff that Jesus said. Now, isn't that insightful? But they might say, yeah, that's good and that's important. But it doesn't tell me who Jesus is. Well, Jesus... He died for my sins, and he was buried, and then on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Well, does that tell you exactly who Jesus is? Well, if we're challenged to think about that, and if we're challenged to actually do that, to begin to tell who Jesus is, I think we might find it to be a challenge, but a challenge worth taking on. A challenge worth beginning to grapple with. Who is Jesus? What is this all about? And I think it's one of those things that we should have an answer ready for that. But the truth is, it takes a while. 
If someone really doesn't know who Jesus is, we need a little while to tell them because there's not a short and simple answer that covers everything that someone would need to know about who Jesus is. Well, today I want us to think a little bit about the disciples' answers to those questions because their answers dictate how, <clears throat> how we understand Jesus. Now remember, when Jesus' disciples, like Peter walking on water, which we're coming to now, when they dealt with these questions, there was no New Testament. They had the Old Testament prophecy, but, but we have revelation, and we don't always know what that means. So they were sort of trying to figure this out as they went along, as they heard Jesus teach, as they saw the miracles, as Jesus did these powerful things. They were beginning to understand who he was so that they could tell about Jesus later on. And it's very mixed, isn't it? We have them doing some amazing things on faith because they believe in the power of Jesus. And then we have them making some amazing mistakes and incredible misunderstandings about who Jesus is. Very much like us. Because we get it messed up sometimes too. And yet there are some moments when they seem to get it. And their understanding of who Jesus is informs us as we attempt to understand Jesus. Now, today we continue in this series that we're calling Living the Jesus Creed. And we've said the Jesus Creed this morning. And one of the things that is involved in living out this creed of loving God and loving others is an act called conversion. When we come to that moment when we clearly understand who Jesus is and we decide it's time to put our whole lives into that. We can't love God and love others without that moment. Peter, Matthew chapter 14, is dealing with some of these issues of who is Jesus. I want us to look at two, two uh, stories that we find in Matthew. Matthew 14, Jesus was teaching. John tells us in the same story that the people were ready to, to crown him king, to proclaim him as their king. So what did he do? He sent them all home. And he said to his disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which was not all that strange. I mean, many of them are fishermen. They know how to handle a boat. And so they get in the boat and they set off, and it says that Jesus went off to pray. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, the Son of God in communion with God as one in three, three in one, he still needs to pray. And it wasn't prayer before other people. It wasn't let me instruct you how to pray. Let me be your example in prayer. Jesus just went off to pray by himself. And it got laid into the night. And so it goes that the disciples were probably three-fourths maybe 80% across the Sea of Galilee. But then they face this storm. And Scripture basically literally says that they, they were tormented by this storm. I mean, it's so powerful. Even these experienced fishermen can't seem to make their way across this very familiar body of water. And Jesus sees this, and he goes out to them walking on the water. Matthew 14, verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, the Sea of Galilee. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, uh, lots of people have criticized the disciples here of thinking that Jesus was a ghost. 
But I'm here to tell you, if I'm out on a large body of water and someone is walking across it, I'm not going to know exactly what's going on, okay? So I think they were just trying to figure this out the best they could. But it's Jesus, and Jesus speaks to them. And then Peter says this, Lord, if it's you, And Peter's sort of expecting a positive answer. It's not that he's questioning this. It could almost be, Lord, since it's you. Peter knows who he's talking to. Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, Peter's gotten a lot of bad press about this passage too, hasn't he? He didn't have the faith to continue. His faith was somehow lacking mixed. Fear got the best of him. But I am here to tell you, I would never have gotten out of the boat. But Peter did. He wants Jesus to call him. And he's willing to take that step. And Peter walked on water. I mean, we talk about this story being the story of Jesus walking on the water, but remember there was another person who also walked on the water. Peter did this. And it seems to have been tied up with the faith that he had in Jesus. But it says that Peter began to to look at the wind. Hard to see wind, isn't it? But he saw the effects of the wind. It's interesting to me, it's not that he looked down and thought, oh, there's water underneath me. It's the storm that causes the fear. And the fact that suddenly he realizes where he is. He's not in the boat. And the fear does overtake him. There is a lack of faith, a mixed amount of faith. And he falters. And Jesus pulls him back up. And he does scold him a little bit. Where's your faith? You of little faith. But then in the midst of all that, the people surrounding Jesus and Peter, we see this. Well, let me back up a little bit to verse 32. When they climbed up on the boat, the wind died down, and then 33, I think, is on the screen. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They're beginning to see that something is very different about Jesus. Now, would they have said in that moment, well, I would like to uh, sort of put out the proposition that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, that there are three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus identifies this second place. I don't think that's where they were, okay? I don't think that's the issue that they were raising, What I think they are saying is that Jesus has a special relationship with God that we have seen nowhere else. He is the Son of God like nobody else is the Son of God. He's not a Son of God like like most Christians would say, hey, I'm I'm a child of God. He is the Son of God. Set apart, special, different from everyone else because of what they've seen. And then we could turn over to Matthew chapter 16, probably just a page or two over. 
In this passage, we get something just about as complete as we, did, we see, as we see anywhere else in the Gospels as an understanding of Jesus. Jesus has taken his disciples to the city of Caesarea Philippi. So it's, it's out of Judea, out of Galilee. They're north of that. They're in, the, in a region that's ruled by Philip. Hence the name Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar and Philip. Philip's trying to give the emperor sort of a compliment here. He takes them out of their territory to talk about what? The fact that he's the Messiah. Why would he do that? Why would he go into a Gentile land to talk about the fact that he is the Messiah? Because Messiah means king. When you talk about the king, when the king's around, there's a challenge. And so Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he gets some pretty strong answers. I mean, he, they say things like, well, they think you're a prophet. Maybe John the Baptist, supposedly killed, and, and maybe now God has sent John back in a different form. And, and just like John proclaiming the good news that God is at work, that something amazing is happening, they think you're John the Baptist, or they think you're a prophet like Jeremiah. I mean, a guy who gets his own book in the Bible that's pretty good. Or maybe another prophet. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? We see Peter's response. Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. In the end, the king, the son of the living God. And Jesus praises this answer because, as I said, it's about as complete an answer as we get. Things are beginning to come together. And here we have this man, Peter, who at one moment seems to be the champion of faith, a hero that, that we could all admire, and in another moment totally misunderstands what Jesus is doing or has an amazing lack of faith, and, and we wonder, has he been listening all along? And when we come to this passage, I think we see Peter's been listening, and Peter's been watching, and he's seeing that Jesus is two things. Number one, the one that the prophets foretold. God's been at work preparing him and Israel for this for hundreds of years, and Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy that Peter sees in all those Old Testament prophets, the one that God has sent to redeem his people, to, to, to take them forward into the future. And he is the Son of God, the Son of the living God, a special relationship between this man that's in front of him and God. Seeing that no one else could do the things that Jesus has done. No one else could raise people from the dead. No one else could give people back their sight. No one else could allow those who couldn't walk to suddenly walk. No one else could do these things, but Jesus could. And so it all comes together in this moment when Peter makes this confession of the identity of Jesus. Now, does that one phrase tell the whole story of who Jesus is? Well, you need more than that. But if you boil it all down, this is pretty close. I mean, for me, this is a moment of conversion 
for Peter. Now he's going to make some more mistakes. I mean, it's Peter who, on the night when Jesus was betrayed and then arrested, it's Peter who says, hey, I don't even know that guy. I never heard of him. I'm just along for the ride, see what happens. But it's also Peter on the day of Pentecost who is the one who stands up and says, you have all killed God's Messiah. It's an echo back to this confession, to this moment of conversion, when Peter begins to see exactly who Jesus is. And he will spend the rest of his life proclaiming just that. And so the truth that I want us to get from this passage is that conversion begins with knowing who Jesus is. Okay? We can't become Christians unless you understand that Jesus is God's Son. You can't become a Christian unless you recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God was preparing. He is the Messiah. When we begin to understand the identity of Jesus as God's Son, it's the moment that conversion becomes possible. Now we have to follow through on that. That's not the end, but it is the beginning. And we have to go through this process of grappling with just who Jesus is if we want to come out on the end of understanding that we want to follow him. So if someone says, tell me about Jesus, how we answer that matters. Because if we say Jesus is the greatest teacher that ever existed, then we might look at his teaching and say, wow, I want to live according to this. Great. Best way to live. But that's not becoming a Christian. And we might say, wow, Jesus was a prophet, a man who's speaking for God. Well, so was Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Habakkuk and Malachi. And the greatest prophet in the Old Testament is is Moses. But I don't live my life based on the teaching of any of those men. And I haven't sold out to Moses or to Isaiah or to Hosea. It's Jesus. Jesus is more than a great teacher. Jesus is more than a prophet. He is those things. But until we're ready to figure out that Jesus is also Messiah, King, Son of God, we can't convert. We can't convert our lives from what they are to what God wants them to be. Because you see, when we say Jesus is Messiah, then we're saying he's the king. And if we want to live in the kingdom of God, then we've got to make Jesus king. We've got to follow the king and what the king asks us to do and how we can develop that relationship with him. What does he call us to do? Put our faith in him. I mean, day of Pentecost, Peter says, Have faith. Repent. Be baptized. If Jesus is the Son of God, then He's the way that we relate to God. God has sent Him. And it is in Jesus that heaven and earth come together so that we can understand God's call on our lives. Conversion. 
There's a change from living my life for me and for what I want and for my goals to putting my faith in Jesus Christ and submitting myself to him and allowing Jesus to be king, Jesus to be Lord. Maybe you've been grappling with that. Maybe you've been studying that and thinking about, am I ready to make this confession that Peter made, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and maybe it's time for you to respond to what Jesus has done and to what the New Testament calls us to do when we have that faith in him so that we can convert, so that we can change. And I think for many of us, this is an ongoing process of allowing God to change us, to convert us. I don't know if uh, many of you were listening to what Joy played earlier, but during communion, she played through the hymn, I am thine, O Lord, or sometimes it's known as Draw Me Nearer, and my mind went back about 30 years at that moment. I probably told you that most every Sunday of my life until I got married, I sat between my two grandparents, my mother's parents, in church. Mom and Dad had my brother because he never could behave, so he had to sit between them. Anyway, don't tell him I said that. But I could hear my grandmother singing that song. I don't know if it was one of her favorites. Maybe it was. I just remember her voice. I mean, it was as clear as it could be as Joy played that. The chorus says, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Conversion. Draw me nearer to you, God, because I've gone too far away. Let's pray together. God, help us to see who Jesus is because there's nothing that matters more. And when we do, help us to respond because it will change our lives and our eternity. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're ready to make that decision today to follow Jesus, we want to know about it. Or maybe you want to be a member of our church. If you've made either one of those decisions, come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.